Hello and welcome back to the Comic Lyra podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, mangas, penny dreadfuls, web comics, newspaper comics, essentially any single frame illustrations where the characters use bubbles to talk or think. I am your host, the soon to be known as Comic Stan, and with me as always is my harmonious co-host, it's Jamie. Harmonious. You tell I was running out of breath there for a second? Yeah, I could, yeah. It's the... It's like, if I just get to the harmonious, <laughs> so then it's all good, and I could just blur out the last part. What? harmonious kind of feels like you've scraped through the bottom of the barrel and i'm just getting the remnants of the pub floor tiles so it's not quite i mean that's a pretty harsh that's a hard <laughs> feeling on the word harmonious <laughs> bloody harmonious catching strays here but what it is is i'm trying to get uh, exhaust an area before i move on to the next in terms of the thesaurus because the thing i've realized is in doing this bit that i've now committed to for some reason that no one would hold against me if I stopped doing, except myself. And me. And you, obviously. I would be if, most dumb. If one week I was just like, and it's Jamie. <laughs> I was like, what, what have I done? I'd want something. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're right. <laughs> I, think, I think the irony is, of course, that I'm not harmonious at all. I'm quite a discordant creature. I'd see harmonious was more just kind of like generally agreeable and nice. Like that was kind of, I didn't, because I thought that was, according to the definition, that I cannot recall word for word, but it was I was surprised it was more of just a positivity thing rather than a calmness, if that makes sense. Yeah. But what it is, is I'm just going through each area, trying to exhaust as many good options before I move on. And the way you move on in this thing that I'm doing is you pick one of the words that you is on the first page, and that takes you to a new set yeah, of words, yeah, and you yeah. follow the rabbit hole there. So I'm like, before I go too deep Are you explaining way, how a thesaurus works to me? Well, you're a librarian. <laughs> I don't know if thesaurus <laughs> comes under that umbrella or not. <laughs> I have an English degree. Well, if anything, I shouldn't have to need to explain this to you, then. <laughs> you seem to have a face, a look on your face that said, please explain to me how a thesaurus works. I was like, all right, I've I never seen a thesaurus. What I think you should do now is get a rhyming dictionary. How many words rhyme with Jamie? No, just start finding words that rhyme with words that mean chatty. Okay. Uh, it's like a cockney rhyming slang of positive descriptions oh if you could make one up for every week that would be marvelous i tell you what by the time once i run out of just unusual words or like lesser known words <laughs> then i'll get to that point once it doesn't seem like i'm using word a day toilet paper then i'll start going into rhyming. yeah okay that yeah. makes sense so we are back at it again back in the house with uh another episode which we are going to be diving into a main topic uh which is a specific limited issue comic uh, do we want to hit up our corners first? No. <laughs> You've not read anything? Um, no. <laughs> not even that. This week, I've got the back of my shampoo bottle. Uh, it was very interesting. Well, um, I've, I've been busy, and so I've been, I've been giving myself a bedtime story out of an edition of Oscar Wilde's children's stories. That's, I would count that. I mean, if you want to get into that at all. Yeah, it's been nice. Um, I read The um, Greedy Giant about a giant who steals a football from some children i was gonna say is it was the giant for a second i was gonna get into is the giant only considered greedy because proportionately what they <laughs> eat is much more so we're like bloody hell giant you're greedy you, you ate two all. pigs today yeah and it's like i'm a fucking giant <laughs> like what do you want from me they're sausage-sized pigs yeah i'm literally a giant i think i think what's fun about oscar Wilde's children's stories is that they mostly read like grimm's brother's stories but then every once in a while, there'll be a reference to the society with which Oscar Wilde was both very charmed and also quite disdainful of. Right. 
And so, you know, there'll be t- he was talking about in The Happy Prince, there's a bird, uh, a swallow who falls in love with a wren. And the other swallows say, oh, but, you know, she's from a terrible family. She has no society. And it's so painfully Victorian and Waldinian. I would say, how dare they? They don't even own a turncoat. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 a very like Wildinian concern. You couldn't even ride a penny farthing. <laughs> Victorian era bullying. Yeah, Cla- class based bullying, exactly, obviously. Exactly. This is it, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, no, it's been it's been lovely. I mean, it's basically grown up bedtime stories. I mean, any oh, the way I like to think of it, any bedtime story is a grown up bedtime story if you're not a pussy about it, you know? Yeah. It's like when there's a a, a bit I'm going to come back to later, but it's when some people describe like. Oh, this cartoon is like for adults, or like, oh, this comic book is like it's like written for adults, whatever. It's like the medium is not exclusively for kids. Yeah. But it's only it's developed that way because you could do more fantastical things with cartoon and comic and animation. So it's like, well, we'll make like, you know, the Teletubbies. Uh, it's either grown men in suits or we make a cartoon. Like yeah. it's one of one of the either. And obviously cartoons were cheaper because you didn't have to make grown suits and make magic happen and you know magic roundabout with a guy who's got half a spring for legs and stuff like, Zebedee. Zebedee, exactly so people there's a that i think created the false misconception that the these were mediums children. were exclusively for children and then now you've got like even these days you've got like obviously for the last 20 years we've had like south park and to degree the simpsons and family guy and all that be like oh it's like adult uh animation it's like, can we find that middle ground where it's not either for kids or explicitly adult? Like, there is a, you can put anything in between there. What? And Pixar films. Well, that or like a good example <laughs> I heard the other day, because I saw this topic we discussed, was like Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers is a quite yeah. adult humor, not because it's sexual or violent, but because it's the mundane banality of everyday life. And it's the children interacting with that as like, they're like suspiciously adult for their age, yeah. And that, kind of, but then they'll bring it back by being kids as well. So, have that you kind of seen Steven Universe? No, it's on my list. You Apparently, would... I know it's one of the best. It's generally I've heard all about it being one of the best animations of all time, and I need yeah, to watch it. It's so good. It's it's one that I watched exclusively as an adult, um, but I was recommended it by like a fourteen year old. And he saw something really charming in it, and I saw something really charming, charming in it that was completely different. Mm. Um, oh, and the music! Man. One of the characters is played by a British musician whose name I can't remember. Uh, Estelle, right? Estelle plays one of the characters. I'm going to pretend I know who Estelle is. Um, American boy. Okay, yeah, sure. She doesn't like his baggy jeans, but she's going to like what's underneath them. I always remember the um. This is the most niche reference that I've I know heard. exactly what you're going to talk about. East Anglian boy. <laughs> <laughs> but 99.9% of the world do not know what that's referenced to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, Estelle's in it. And um, there's a song about anxiety called It Was Just a Thought. And Estelle sings it. And it is properly good. Um, also, Better Than You or Stronger Than You. Really powerful piece of music sung by Estelle. Really fucking cool. I fucking hope it's Estelle. Can you check for me? Can you just Google uh, Stephen? You because I've not got a device in front of me. Yep. Hang on. Let me just do the old quick Google. Google break. Uh, if you just uh, entertain, fill the void. We, um. Tell well. Tell us more about Stephen Universe. What's good about? Yeah. It? So it's um. So Stephen is like a young boy, 
a ukulele playing happy go lucky child okay like it is a stealth it so is a stealth but it transpires that his mum was an alien from a planet where they were all gems. Mm. And so they are gems, but their corporeal form is just a project- projection. Right. And so he is half gem, half human, the only, of it, the only one of his kind. And him and three of his mum's former acolytes are trying to save the world from a kind of shadowy threat that they haven't quite established yet. Mm. But it just hits on so many big topics in really charming, clever ways. And there's these really wonderful fleshed out characters, but we only see characters when we need them. Mm. And the characters all have amazing arcs and there's a lot of growth. It's it's really, it's really good. Yeah, no, it's it's on my list. And as soon as I watch it, that will be my watched thing corner for the for the week. Yeah. And we'll have a we'll have a cheer. There's probably a comic about it. We could probably do a comic about it. Yeah. I imagine somebody's yeah. done one. Interesting uh side note. Do you want to know what Estelle's middle name is? No. It's hundred uh, percent Fanta. Estelle Fanta. Estelle Fanta Soiree. Um, apparently, yeah. Apparently, they were half and half. They were. It was either going to be that or Tango. <laughs> <laughs> Did they not get the rights to Tango? I think Fanta were more paying more <laughs> for the advertising spot. They were like, "This kid's going to be famous. We want the middle name rights exclusively." You know what Fanta is, don't you? I do. A uh, drink. That's all I know it as. It's Nazi Coke. What? Okay. Yeah. No, I thought you meant a different thing. I was like, I generally, I was like, does he mean? Nazi cocaine, and then I clicked like, nope, I have heard this story before. I know what this is. This was the they wouldn't coke or someone wouldn't allow coke, so they had to make a new drink to be able to sell in Nazi Germany, right? So, yeah, there were there were production there were there were factories producing Coca Cola, right, in Germany in the forty in the thirties, um, and then as the Nazis became more powerful. They obviously didn't want big American businesses operating within German borders and the Americans wanted no fucking part in it. Right. And so there was a kind of mutual agreement that Coca-Cola wouldn't be in Germany anymore, Um, but they didn't have the recipe. And so they made what they could make, which was an orange flavored syrup. And that became Fanta. So Fanta, it's not Nazi Coke, but it was one of those that kind of it came out of Nazi Germany. Yeah, it's, it, its creation was because of the yeah. existence of the Nazis and not in a good way. Banner, Hugo Boss and the Volkswagen Beetle. I have a fun Volkswagen Beetle fact as well. Okay, go ahead. There is a six-year crossover where both the original Beetle and the new Beetle were in production at the same time. And that was during the 40s? No. Huh? When I say the new Beetle, I mean the one that we remember... Like the ones that would still be driving around on the roads today. As in Herbie the Beetle, the film with Lindsay Lohan, that Beetle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So the new bug went into production in 97. Mm. And the original Beetle, like rear-engined, air-cooled, original Herbie, mm. didn't come out of production until 2003. But that last product- those last production years were probably like, a, we make one a year, like that. Oh, no. okay. fair enough. It was in full-scale production in Mexico. Wow, fair enough. Volkswagen had a Mexican factory. The very last run was only 3,000, but it was in production pretty consistently between the 1930s when they came up with it and 2003. Well, you did say it was going to be a fun fact, 
and we will put that to review. And if it's not, we will <laughs> cut it out of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, it'll just be, do you want to hear a fun fact? And then it's just me recording. I've gone, it was not fun. <laughs> so it was removed. What's going to be really funny is when my partner listens to the podcast, because she'll be like, Jamie, you told that me. story again. <laughs> you messaged me about it that day. I always knew that the bug came out of production really late, but I was just sat there working today and I was like, wait a minute. There was a crossover and it blew my mind. So I thought you might want to hear about it. I, I also love having the kind of job where you suddenly have a thought and you go, this needs urgent research. <laughs> I can't do anything until I've moved on, until I've found out the I truth. I mean, it was, it was two Google searches, you know? Like, it, it wasn't a lot of effort. Yeah, of course, no. Um, my corner, um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, quickly, um, the reverse trade offer, if I watch... Uh, Steven Universe, you need to watch Gravity Falls because that's compared like one, they're like one and one in terms of great animation. Gravity Falls is really good. Yeah. Have you seen already? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then you can watch it again while I watch Steven Universe <laughs> or something. Uh, for my moving pictures corner, faster than comics, yada, yada, all that. Uh, I mentioned previously about watching that show Shrinking, the one with Jason Siegel. Yeah. I've given up on that. I, I, it got way too sitcommy. Like, did did it did it spoil itself for you? It just I told you there was there was two elements. <laughs> one I liked, one I didn't. I liked the element of the uncomfortable truth, like people dealing with shit and maybe not having the best, you know, effects on their lives and stuff. Yeah. And then the other aspect which I didn't like was the sitcommy, everyone's chums and quippiness, that kind of thing. Cause that's everywhere. Like I don't mm. like ev that I there's enough of that on TV. I just don't need more. I I can't be asked with a show that indulges that as well. At least in a not a great way. Basically, it got to a point where they were just all, all the characters were friends now when oh. they had no reason to be and they're all hanging out together. And yeah. I was like, I'm done with this. So I started a new series, um, which is a fairly recently come out series called Poker Face. It stars Natasha Lyon. Have you also seen it? I just, I'm, I'm restraining myself. You can't say that and then not say what you're restraining yourself against. Just gratuitous lady gaga quotes okay i mean sing you can sing it if you want P -p poker face there you go is it you could have just got out of your system and i'll just cut out later <laughs> yeah please do or even whichever <laughs> but it's an interesting one it's a murder mystery show it's actually written and directed i think most episodes direct what well, of one episode at least has been directed by uh ryan johnson mm. the fame most recently for glass onion and knives out yeah it's a murder mystery, um, and it kind of explains why I push Natasha Lyons. Natasha Lyon, Liam. Don't look at me. Uh, from American Pie originally, and then Orange is New Black mm, more recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was. Uh, there was a bit in Glass Onion near the beginning. Have you seen Glass Onion? No. Right. This is near the front, so it's not a spoiler. Such as like not right near the beginning of the film, but you know the character. Have you seen Knives Out? No. Right. Watch those films. They're on Netflix. They're great. <laughs> Uh, they're great murder mystery films. I'm I was big into the genre before, then I kind of lost it because there weren't really good ones, and that's kind of reinvigorated the genre yeah. a bit. But Daniel Craig plays a detective. Ben yeah, no, I've seen the trailers. Yeah, for yeah. Them. Benoit Blanc. Um, there's a bit where he's playing Among Us with like four other detectives, or well, one of them's like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar because he turns out he's a basketball player, but he's also really smart. But one of the people's Natasha Lyons, and people are like, oh, she's just one of the people ever now she's in this show also written and directed by brian johnson it's like wait is that her character is this a crossover <laughs> from the films to the tv show like but um it's interesting she plays a character who basically has the ability to tell whenever anyone's lying well that would be really useful for a detective well she's not a detective so that's the she's just a 
normal person, but she has this thing and she says it's not magical or anything. She, yeah. can't, she can't tell the truth or anything. It's just she only can tell when someone's intentionally lying. And she just yeah. has this intuition she just, that's 100% right all the time. Um, but the problem is she keeps coming across people who get murdered. And then <laughs> murder. I've, only seen, I've only seen two episodes. Is it a little bit... Um... So I, I, I think it's, um, it's like... What's the one? The the one in this little English village, the murders. Midsummer murders. Midsummer is it Midsummer murders? It's like how are all these people? How are all these murders happening in this little village of a hundred people? I like, was thinking Jonathan Creek. Yeah, that's a bit. But then he goes around a bit, doesn't he? Like he doesn't come across murders. He gets. Did he get like enlisted or whatever? Or? He's he's got his journalist buddy. That's it, and the journalist investigates. And it was like, yeah. But she just comes across murders, but like <laughs> really unfortunate life. Apparently, yeah. But but then and then she you know solves it. I've only seen two episodes, but they've been really good. That it's got a kind of nineties, late nineties, early noise TV aesthetic, oh, like almost like a graininess where perfect. it's it looks like a film. Um, it's it's interesting because the way they do it differently as well is this. If anyone knows the Columbo reference, they show the murder happening at the beginning. So it's not a who's done it as such. You know. You know who's done it, but you see the evolution of her working out who's done it and then having to prove it. So it's, mm. it's you see the secret and you see her slowly working it out and then having to eliminate like possibilities, work out what the lie is and prove it and stuff. But it's really good. I've enjoyed uh, the two episodes. I think she's going to keep stumbling upon murders <laughs> more, far more than the average person does. Imagine somewhere. if she didn't. Well, then it'd be, a, but then you could space them in between. Like she gets, something happens in the beginning of the first episode, at the end of the first episode, the links to the, you, it shows it's quite soon after in the second episode. So if it had been like undisclosed amount of time, I'd be like, fair enough. She'd come across another murder. It just happens over time. It's been, it. like, it's been like a week. Like <laughs> it's another murder in a week. Like that's the problem. And she interacts with the people before they get murdered. So like you are literally speaking to people and then they randomly get murdered. I'd be suspicious of myself. Like, maybe is I'm it, doing it. Is it like one of those murder TV shows where there is a murder per episode? Yeah, it's a weekly It's a weekly thing for sure. But it doesn't feel like a weekly thing because it, it's the, at least the first two of such different situations. Yeah. It's a different murder each week, um, but they've just been done very well. You don't, you know there's a murder that's about to happen, but you don't know of the characters who it's going to be until like 10 minutes in. Right. So it takes the time for you to like or not like or just get to know some characters and then one of them murders another. But it also plays with the who's going to murder who. So you yeah. get a little bit of that as well. But it's highly recommend. It's great, great show. If you like a murder mystery, it's a bit different from the normal one where we've always had this like, especially CSI and all those was like, who's the murderer going to be and stuff. So it's, it's an interesting difference, which again, harkens back to Columbo, which I've never seen, but I just know that is the style. And that's from like, the 80s i think or 90s yeah. so it's reinvigorating the genre with a with an old trope and bringing it back i got really into old csi when i was in new york old csi well because we had a tv in the room and we wouldn't sit in the room and watch tv but when we got back to the room we would turn the tv on and we were watching american broadcast television right which is mostly adverts about anal leakage it's wild is it highly recommend does it at least show you the positives of the medicines that cause the side oh, effect man. of the anal leakage yeah 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 but there were there were they, the adverts were mostly pharmaceutical and every single one was like 20 seconds 
bestowing the virtues of this medication. And then they would start listing the side effects and it'd be like, here's a medication to reduce blackheads may cause your anus to dissolve. Well, it was wild. The, so much fun. The most depressing ones of those, which are t- all too real, are the ones that are antidepressants. They're like, side effects may include suicide. It's like, that doesn't help. That's sertraline, isn't it? That's one of the yeah. main antidepressants that people use. But the way you described it was like, take this drug. The side effect is anal leakage, yeah. but it might have a positive effect. <laughs> it's like, well, yes, that's, I'm sold. <laughs> that's pretty much the way the adverts go. They at least do it the other way around. They're yeah. like, here's the problem. Here's the solution. <laughs> here's the side effect, not the reverse. But I think, I think one of them was an acne medication that could cause like really severe internal hemorrhaging. I'll just take the spots, bruv. I mean, a lot of people won't in in today's day and age of modern beauty standards and stuff. You can still put a nice post on Instagram with your fucking spleen dissolving. Yeah, I, I will. I will. A lot of people will take the um the method of I'll take internal damage to look good on the outside. <laughs> And a lot of those people are already dead on the inside anyway, so... Oh, Ryan. On that oh, note, we, I think... We haven't got any attractive listeners. Come on. <laughs> no one, no one, who's, you, no one you, who's satisfied with life is listening to this. If you are an attractive listener, um, pipe up, let us know. Yeah, so just, just a word document, no pictures or anything. Just say, I am attractive and we'll believe you. Yeah, absolutely. And that we go on with it. Yeah, that could be some self-affirmation for you. Oh, lovely. All right, let's get into it. Let's zoom in or up up and away or is it a bird is it playing or those kind of references because we are doing because <laughs> <laughs> we are doing supergirl which is so upsetting because we're doing a superhero but they don't have man in their name exactly and that's a weird that would be a weird surname for just supergirl like it just supergirlman it sounds like someone's just being dim- dismissive of Supergirl. <laughs> like, I don't trust you unless you have a man at the end of your name or with you in the room. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a great one we've done because uh, what I'm especially happy about is it's our first Tom King written series. Hey, it's hello, Tom. Supergirl, the world of tomorrow. The woman of tomorrow. The, the woman, woman of, of tomorrow. The, the woman of the world of tomorrow. Yeah. The woman of tomorrow. Um, And it's a very interesting one because it's a fairly recent release that literally just started mid last year and yeah. just recently ended. So cutting edge of a finished limited series i'm pretty sure when we discussed doing it there were seven issues yep and then to i started reading it yesterday and there were seven issues and then i was able to buy issue eight today but i think it was um it was an interesting timing because we didn't plan on it being so close to the last one coming out so no it it worked out quite well i also was worried we were just going to get the seven and i was like well we'll do it anyway because it's still gonna be good and then when the eighth one came i was like brilliant even bonus um i think it was an interesting one because it's so recent release and it's not a typical comic of that of this character which is tom king's kind of staple he always has different stuff he takes a character and just does different stuff with it his closest to the mainstream was probably his run on batman Mm. and even then that was quite different he had him and catwoman marry and you know did a lot of different stuff with that as well but this is more his staple of uh vision and mr miracle where he just like i'm going to explore the character in very weird ways I'm not that bothered about the story as I am the actual character exploration. And I think that shows in this. It has yeah. a story, but it's not what happens in the story is not as important as the characters and their development and that kind of stuff. I think what's most interesting is that Supergirl isn't the most isn't the protagonist, really. Yeah, and that's an interesting one because I I 
it's a commonly used trope. I think it's used well here. It's that uh, it's that bystander looking at this amazing character. Put me in mind of Holmes and Watts. Yes, a little bit. Yeah, they they have a dynamic of sorts, but it does also. There's an the age gap definitely makes I think of like mentor mentee kind of thing as well. And that, and that's that's the way that the Holmes and Watson books were originally written. Right, they were they were a retrospective from Watson's perspective. So it was Watson retrospectively talking about his experiences living with Sherlock. Right, right. And this is exactly what that is. Well, this is a very interesting narration device, which we will get to in the end. Um, but if we start off with the kind of, if we go through chronologically, and then we're just going to say, as we go on in the episode, there's going to be more spoilers as we go on. And if we, Well, I just kind of want to get into it. Yeah, we'll get into it. Um, so, Ruthie... Can I, can I give some blurbs? Oh, do you want to give a blurb? I've actually got two, because I got one from the Wikipedia, but it didn't really delve into the series, the actual story. So I also got the Amazon one, because it wasn't on Wikipedia. Again, Wikipedia, dropping the ball here. I stick up for you all the time, and you, you let me down, and I'm trying... I feel like I'm the only one trying in this relationship. So I'm talking to Wikipedia. I should have made that clear without staring into your eyes while saying that. You realise at some point Wikipedia is going to be sentient, Ryan. Yeah, I know. And I'm going to be like, <laughs> I was always there for you. But you never returned it. When Wikipedia becomes sentient, it's going to listen to the whole of the internet and go, I'm going to find that Ryan from that podcast. And murder him. And No, no, no. You, you, you're going to end up in a long-term relationship with Wikipedia. That'd be cool. Although they probably would remember everything you say. Like... You know, when you're in an argument and then later and they're like, oh, yeah, you think like that. And you're like, oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, sister, heat yeah. the moment, you know? Yeah. Or when you say, oh, I like this thing. And then you get that gift for 10 years afterwards. <laughs> you know exactly. No, that mean. one, yeah. Your Wikipedia entry says you like dinosaurs. Like, I've had enough of dinosaurs. There's a whole room full of them. <laughs> He's there just on a stegosaurus armchair. I've had enough of it. <laughs> yes. Really spiky. I drew the line at the chair. <laughs> Do you know what a librarian's favourite dinosaur is? Thesaurus. <laughs> it comes back around. Hey. So the Wikipedia entry, it's more about, it's a bit vaguer, but basically uh, under the Infinite Frontier brand, no idea what that means. I've been out of touch with DC for a bit. Kara's next series, Woman of Tomorrow, debuted in June 2021. Wow. That can't be right. That's not right. That was like 2022. Bloody Wikipedia. Don't look at me. I'll have to check that. But don't hold us to that date. That could be wrong. Again, I'm sorry hey, on behalf of Wikipedia. It's on Wikipedia. It must be right. Oh, someone's got to go in and change that. Or at least delete the entire entry. So, written by Tom King and penciled by Brazilian artist uh, Bilkis Everly and Matt Lopez, the arc introduces Supergirl to new character grounds as she begins the story as a young woman celebrating her 21st birthday and helping a young alien in her quest for revenge. The mentor-mentee journey. So this is why I got the second one. Because this last part isn't really like a blurb. It's just an it tidbit, like a little tidbit of information. The uh, mentor-mentee journey on revenge plot, according to King, inspired by the original novel and both versions of True Grit. Oh, uh, okay. Which I've not seen. It's one of those ones I hear about being good, but I haven't heard about it. No, that makes a certain degree Have you sense. seen True Grit? No, but I've read a script of it. That's an odd way to. That's a. How, yeah. how did that happen? Honestly, I think it was for a writing class at uni. Okay, and that was an example of a good script. I'm guessing, hopefully, not a bad one. Yeah, no, it was just something that I've. It's something that I've read. It's something that I'm familiar with. Right. 
but I'm familiar with it from having read the script of it, not the novel that it was based on or having watched the film. Well, we can take it from King. We've basically had the comic book version. So yeah. that's enough. So the Amazon one, which gets a little bit more into the story is, Kara Zorel has seen some epic adventures over the years, but now she finds her life without meaning or purpose. Here she is, a young woman who saw her planet destroyed and was sent to Earth to protect a baby cousin who ended up not needing her. What was it all for? Sounds like a sitcom thing again. Wherever she goes, people only see her through the lens of Superman's fame. Just when Supergirl thinks she's had enough, everything changes. An alien girl seeks her out for a vicious mission. Her world has been destroyed and the bad guys responsible are still out there. She wants revenge. And if Supergirl doesn't help her, she'll do it herself. Whatever the cost. Now Kryptonian, a dog, and an angry heartbroken child head out into space on a journey that will shake them to their very core. Well, that's just full of inaccuracies. Yeah, there's a few there, yeah. Yeah, riddled. Terrible. You just don't like the word, or? Pardon? What, riddled? Riddled with inaccuracies. Oh, I, thought, I thought you were like, I didn't like they used the word riddled, and I didn't even question. I was like, yeah, I hate it too. Like, <laughs> riddled is a word that I use a lot. Right. You um, have to describe a lot of things as riddled? Normally that's a... Fucking riddled with it, man. Normally it's a bad connotation. No, it's like, it's absolutely riddled with good things. Like, Yeah, so... What did you think of Ruthie? I thought that she was more of an more of a plot device. I think that in some instances she came across as more of a plot device, but then in other instances she did reveal character. So I suppose it was a good in the sense that she was serving both purposes. Sometimes her backstory and her kind of deeper feelings and as they were revealed through the time, her relationship with her dad and everything, it Sometimes she added nice perspective to the whole story. Like her, it's constantly referenced how she's basically from like essentially a medieval planet and growing up on a farm and that kind of stuff. It's a di- and to see then this superhero in space, she's got a unique perspective and there's enough character stuff, but it's her different perspective, which becomes like a narration to the story. So she, yeah, so she's, she's from a farming community. Um, but she makes it quite clear that her dad had been to war yeah. in space. And so he had told her stories of lots of different planets and places that he'd visited during the war. And so she doesn't give us that. She doesn't give us the George of the Jungle experience mm. where she is a completely backwards person experiencing all of this stuff without any reference of what it would be like. Yeah. And I think. I think what's interesting is that what we're seeing of both of these characters is explicitly based on her memories many, many years later. And so we are seeing a idealized version mm. of Supergirl. And we're seeing a Ruthie... We're, we're seeing her youthful, exploit, youthful exploits through the lens of her kind of older self. Well, it, it does go to lengths to try and not idolize uh, like so the narration within the context goes to lengths to not idolize her but obviously a point it can't help idealize idolize. Yeah. idealize it does well idolize and idealize but it does go to points where it's she does things that you can't help but describe as yeah you know super or heroic because i would argue that she definitely idolizes her yes uh, d- definitely yeah like we're yeah we're, we're seeing i suppose as true a depiction that somebody could give of somebody they met 
what, 100 years ago? Hmm. Um, or 200 years ago. It's 200 years, isn't it? Uh, some I don't know, whatever. It's... Well, we get when we get to the very end. Do we want to go into that already? Because well, we, know, we know the narration is obviously past tense, so we know that she survives afterwards. We often have this clash where it's kind of like, I feel like to be able to talk about a text, we can't be squeamish about spoiling it. Okay. Well, like, I, I can't, like, there's certain things that you can't discuss without the necessary context from the text. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'll, I'll say at least, at the very least, I think with as a shorter text as this, as short as a number of issues as this, then yeah, I, I completely see your point. So, should we say up top, it, we, I very much enjoyed it. I, but again, I'm biased because I'm a big Tom King fan. So, I, I have issues. Issues with issues. I, uh, yeah. Trademarked. No, there are, yeah, there, there there are points where I think the writing's really sloppy. Okay, well, as I said, we'll get into that exactly. Would you recommend? Oh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I like Supergirl. Yes. And again, I, I enjoyed it because I liked Tom King. Yeah. Um, I think what's, if you want, as I said, a different take on an existing character, I think this is a good example of that. It's not set in the normal world of DC superheroes, but also more specifically Kryptonian superheroes and everything. Normally they have their metropolis setting yeah. and it's all like that supergirl's always been a bit more in space she's had her past about being like a red lantern which was yeah. a great run previously and things like that um it's kind of tropey but it plays with the tropes in different ways and i think that's as much as yeah that's much i can get into without spoiler obviously we'll get into it more now but i would highly recommend it on those basis and yeah we'll get into the whole thing now so you had your chance <laughs> if you listen to the preamble, you ever this is going to be a really spoilery episode. Cause... You've listened to us talk bollocks, and now if you want to read the comic, it go out and read it. It's eight issues altogether, so highly It'll recommend. take you an hour exactly. So, so the narration, as you were saying, yeah. So at the very end, um, when Supergirl goes back to Ruthie, um, and she talks about uh, Clem, the prisoner's experience in prison. Clem, 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 Clem. Um, she says, oh, he spent the first hundred years not do- not being a very good prisoner and arguing and questioning things. Well, so we should add the context, and this is why I always go veer more towards chronological tellings. We should give the context of Krem fought and killed Ruthie's dad. That's why he was in prison by this point. Yeah, absolutely. It, so they imprisoned him. This is the revenge tale, as mentioned earlier. Um, but basically what I'm saying, I'm just given a timeline, which is that he spent a hundred years kind of being a not very model prisoner and then a hundred years actually repenting. Mm. And so we're talking Ruthie is 200 years removed. I think there was an extra hundred there as well. Was think, there, were there a 300 years? I think there was a, a third hundred where he was then a model repenting yeah, a prisoner. a repenting prisoner. So there's, yeah. there's three centuries. She's three centuries removed from the story she's trying to tell. Yeah. Um, and so I think that brings into question the reliability of our narrator. True, true. And I don't know if you've really talked much about reliable and unreliable narrators. I mean, we've had it a bit in Mouse, and I think but that was a that was a part of the text explicitly. Like, yeah. What he included, what he left out, missing information, that kind of thing. And again, this is a feature of the text, isn't it? Where she, I'm right at the start, they go to a rest stop, and somebody who has beef with Superman um, catches them and tries to attack Supergirl. Yeah. And she says, oh, these encounters happen so frequently, I'll stop mentioning them. And so just every couple of pages, just imagine something like this happens to us. Yeah. 
And so already she is giving us details about the narration that we don't actually get in the story. Or that are visibly different at some parts from, so the narration seeing it, the seeing the written narration and then seeing the actual action taking place. Yeah. Differences there, you see them as well. And then right at the end, she says, we, we get two different versions of the ending. Yeah. Two distinct versions of the ending. And you, we see one of them in the panels and she kind of outlines one of them through the narration. And we have to decide which version of events is true. Well, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't unsure about which was true. Um, I, was, I was quite aware one was the, the story that went out to the wider DC world. And the literal story was the, the coming out of prison and stuff. And I, was, I thought it was really interesting what, if anything, they were trying to say what the writer Tom King was trying to say about revenge again if mm. anything at all i kind of felt like they were he was trying to have it both ways yeah he was trying to have the nobler side you know don't you don't need revenge revenge won't make you feel better it's better you know to not do that and at its worst the worst way to describe it is the killing all the henchmen getting to the boss and going no actually I'm, I'm above killing now which why i was worried it was gonna be like well she didn't call all the henchmen she rooted them out and sent them retreating didn't she well th- but then she, she crashes through the ship and it's it's that it's an age-old superman question of like if he goes if he if he's fighting an enemy and they fly through a building like like, ta- <laughs> like a skyscraper or something did anyone die there yeah like there's a there's a thing that's interesting to me but there's um, the thing with the Hulk, where again this is Marvel, but um, whenever the Hulk would fight these big monsters like Abomination or robots or the leader's mm. armies or whatever, there was a thing where he would obviously there was a lot of destruction and there was a growing thing among fans where they were like, oh, people must be dying in these wherever, and they retconned it later where it said the reason that people happen to not die is because Bruce Banner was influencing the Hulk in that way to be like you know, steering him to avoid, you know, casualties and bystanders getting hurt and stuff like that. With Superman. Armor. Yeah, well, like like almost like morality armor in a way as well. Like, yeah, mm. no one died because, you know, this was happening. Yeah. But Superman doesn't have that excuse because he's like, you are Superman all the time. Yeah. Like, and you're flying through buildings. Did you use your X-ray vision and check? You, he could have. He could have. And mm. that's that's the thing is if you don't get it explicitly, are you meant to fill it with your head cannon? So again, this yeah. is that same thing where when Supergirl flies through a ship, which just happens to look like an Earth seafaring <laughs> ship, but you know they're pirates, and I a, like the it's aesthetic. literally a raiding vessel. They're space pirates, and I like I like the look. But when she's flying through there and she's doing all that stuff, it's like, is anyone dying? Like I don't know, but no one's explicitly dying, and I suppose that's the point. But it- but, the, but this is the thing. Well, so at the very end of the her narrative. She says that in the narrative, well, we, it becomes clear that in the, the version of the narrative that was published, Supergirl just beheads him there and then. Yes, and thereby taking the brunt of this gang that have this. Yeah, we we hunt and we we rescue our own and we get revenge on our own explicitly. But my point is that that narrative is the one we've been reading throughout the whole text, and so it brings into question the version of events that we've been reading. Yeah. And that, and that is the very nature of an unreliable narrator. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but we mm. have, I'm just establishing that we have an unreliable narrator here. I think I implicitly, and I'm only now questioning this because you've brought it up, I implicitly think that if we're seeing it, then it's what actually happened. And the narration is 
you know, you could take it or leave her because, again, unreliable narrator. But the narrator makes it clear that there are a lot of things that happened in the story that she's omitted. Yeah, and but then again, because... And so it brings into question whether, you know, the fact that we're not... The fact that she makes it clear that we're not seeing in the panels everything that happened mm. brings into question that narration, and that is the nature of an unreliable narr- narrator. Yeah, I, I suppose being more... I think because I'm... Having read so many comics, I think I've always just taken the 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 action on the page, the the actual illustration, the art as the this has happened. Yeah. Unless there's an explicit, it was all a dream, or yeah. like I should have said, like what should have happened in Alan Moore's Superman yeah. run. <laughs> he should have hid the the tentacle monster and then revealed it was a dream. But so unless that happens, if you see it happening, then it's happened, and if it's written. You can take that as it's someone talking, so it's again unreliable. But just by virtue of being a person, yeah. it's the difference between by seeing the panel, you are almost someone who a bystander who's seeing it happen, versus mm. someone else being like, "You'll never guess what just happened." And they tell you what happened, and you go, "Did it happen like that though?" So it's that for me. But I don't know if that is an intentional function of the of the work or not. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the things that you have to consider when you have a narrator. Yeah. Is is how reliable is is my narrator? Yeah, and I think it it adds depth to the text. It's one of the things that I suppose you have to consider when you're doing a closer reading of something like this. Mm. Is we've got this narrator; they've made it clear that there are chunks of story that they have excised for certain reasons. What is the relative verisimilitude of what I'm seeing on the page at this point? Mm. One thing I do like about the narration, and I know this kind of from the start, was the, and we briefly spoke about this before, is how verbose the narration is. I think that was, yeah. I mean, that was your word, obviously, because I wouldn't say <laughs> something as wanky. But <laughs> the style of the narration, I thought, on the one hand, did make the comic book narration more interesting. But because I get that because I'm comparing it to other comic book narrations. And unfortunately, a lot of them come off the same way or quite similar way. It's that um, troubled hero, you know, who's who's uh, being called to action and they don't want to that that trope. Yeah, and the narration kind of fills that in. Or it's like they're Batman already and they're just dark and brooding. So, like, mm. I thought about this. Like most Batman narrations are like this city. Filth, and I'm gonna. Um, uh, yeah. I'm the only thing standing against him. Blah, blah blah. Whereas this one, I it was just a bit of a breath of fresh air. It was just different, and you can criticize like the character and how they talk and stuff. But I just I enjoyed it being a different style of narration. Yeah, and I think that was a part of Tom King was like, I'm gonna do it this way because I just he writes a lot of comics. He's like, I'm gonna do it this way. Yeah, for, just to change a pace. Different. Do you know what that's called? Her manner of speaking. Go ahead. So I would argue it's an idiolect, right? Um, so a dialect is a manner of speaking that is shared by a group of people. So like the Norfolk dialect or the Northern dialect. Mm -hmm. And then an idiolect is somebody's own specific way of speaking. Right. Um, And so, you know, like when you said, oh, verbose was your word. Yeah. That's a feature of my idiolect. Yeah. That's a feature of the way I speak. Um, I think what's interesting is that her idiolect is even as a younger woman, unique for somebody of her social class and standing. Do we think it's unique to her or do we think it's more common enough? Because we haven't heard anyone else, anyone else from her planet except for the 
bounty hunter and creme. So yeah, but the bounty hunter makes a point of it. Right. Okay. So when she's talking with the bounty hunter, he says, wow, he says something to the effect of you're awfully well spoken for a farm girl. Right. Um, and so the bounty hunter identifies that her idiolect is different from the dialect he would expect her to speak based on where she's from. Mm. And so Ruthie is a very articulate character with, it's commented upon that she is, but it's mm. never really established how and why that's happened. See, I, without it being established how and why, I just assumed that her family or class were like that, or uh, to an extent, maybe a planet, but then obviously that was compared not to be by the other characters. But also they could have been like the lower class who don't speak like that. And that they could have been, how they speak could have been considered like lower class slang compared to her middle class speaking, even though she herself is a drop on a farm. Yeah, I mean, she's using words like olfactory, mm. um, which is a beautiful word. It means smell. Right. Um, but you wouldn't consider that as like part of a standard dialect for a peasant working in a rock farm. Mm. But the, the thing with this kind of stuff is, even though it's a planet that we can relate to being certain ways, mm. we don't know what the hierarchy, the class yeah. status, we don't know any of that. So, Well, again, I think what's interesting is that the bounty hunter is surprised. Yeah, exactly. So based on where she's from, he's surprised that she speaks that way. Yeah, uh, so we, being that's the only thing we can take, then yeah, we can only run with that assumption based on that bit of evidence. Yeah, I mean, we see, because we don't, I believe we see her dad speak very briefly. See, I, so briefly, I don't even remember that. So. There are two panels with him in it. I think he has a speech bubble in one of them, but he doesn't say much. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does add interesting flavor to her narration. And I think what's nice is that it often, it lends a certain wordiness mm. to her narration. It makes it feel quite, important i think a common theme of this comic and a lot of tom king's works is taking well-used tropes and doing them a bit differently mm. so i don't think he's necessarily i wouldn't go so far as like inventing the wheel or anything but he does things either in a different way or just in a fun he uses a trope in a fun way and the reason i came back to that is because when we are introduced to supergirl she is drunk in a bar yeah so it's yeah, yeah. it's very like the 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 closest i thought of immediately was like is it Aragon in Lord of the Rings yeah. or that kind of thing? And it's like the hero who's just here to be by themselves and drink. And now they've been brought into this bloody story, you know, and all that. To bring it back more into this world, Logan. Mm. Yeah, he's a common one. Yeah. That's, you know, he um, he's often portrayed as uh, Professor X finding him in a bar, drunk with a big cigar in his mouth. That's often how he's pictured in his early kind of origin stories, isn't it? And that's a big step up from when he was just found feral in the forest. Yeah, fucking A. It's like, at least he's wearing trousers now. Yeah, no, I like I like the way she's introduced. I like Supergirl's character in general. Mm. There are a couple of specific things that I think Tom King made the wrong creative decision on. Okay, and is this compared to previous iterations or just or just you didn't think worked for this Yeah, there, there's a couple things that I just don't, I don't think worked. One of them is the gratuitous swearing that he bleeps out. Right. It bothers me. Well, unfortunately, I think that's a requirement of DC and Marvel these days. Don't swear, though. Unless it's, yeah. Unless, but I think they they do just want to get across the characters swearing without it swearing. It bothers me so deeply. I think you get used to it once you've read quite a bit of it. Like It bothers me. I think mm. if you're going to have a character swear, 
they should fucking swear. I don't. I th- I, th- I think I think it's really cheap where people want to make use of the power of swearing, right? But not actually put it on the page. They want to have their cake and eat it. Yeah, because I think that, um, you know, in America they call swear words curse words. Yeah. Do you know what the etymology of that is? You would curse someone with them or something? You are cursing someone? Yeah, so swear words aren't... When you swear, it doesn't trigger the same part of your frontal cortex, your frontal lobe, as regular language does. Right. Um, our, there, there's studies that would suggest our swear words live in a more primal part of our brain closer to the centre. That makes sense. Which is why... When, which is why when people are encouraged to swear during painful experiences, mm. they lessen their experience of the pain. The reason that when you stub your toe, you go, fuck. Yeah. And so swear words have a power to them. And I think in using them, but only using a string of punctuation, you rob them of their power. And actually, on a linguistic level, there are more powerful, powerful things you can do than imply swearing mm. like swear words have a power and i fucking love them like I, I i you know i swear like a sailor but i do it with um conviction and i think that's where swearing works you need to commit to it and so if you're not allowed to print swear words in your comic find another way to write your character i don't think you should be relying on something that you're not allowed to use it just it, I find it really jarring, and I found it took me out of the story because I was often going, "Which swear word did she did she say?" I mean, contextually, you can kind of work out, can't you? But I shouldn't have to. No, I should. I should. If she's swearing, I should just be able to read her swearing. Either Tom King wants to write a story where Supergirl is really sweary, or he doesn't. He's done something in the middle, and I don't think it works. I think the problem is is that this is a well worn trope of a well worn symptom of capitalism and that they are trying to make them as as appeal to as wide audience as possible there's obviously some things you can't do and obviously i say obviously this i assume this that tom king was in a position where he could not write it with swearing because the fact is the only comics that from marvel or dc that do get swearing are ones where they already have to be well known enough guaranteed to succeed in a were like a black label comic yeah. so like punisher or um deadpool or deadpool like exactly that. um or wolverine so that would kind of have to guarantee like if we make this character swear we limit who we can sell this to but it has to make the money back for us to justify and so- i do understand that but i don't think that context is enough when you are reading a text well, I say, I, from an artistic point, it's not justifiable at all. From yeah. a capitalistic uh, um, mindset, it's it's the reason why, without being a justifying excuse, if that makes sense. But my argument is that you can swear words are incredibly convenient for conveying irritation or frustration or anger. Um, but if you're not allowed to swear, there are other ways of doing that, and I think it would have served the character better. Yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah. They were trying they they were trying to portray a certain quiet hot-headedness, I suppose, with Supergirl. Mm. Um and 
I think the bleeped out swearing was just jarring. I just I just found it really took me out of the story. I think it's I it's, don't think it was a good creative choice. Yeah. I think it's really interesting hearing from someone who isn't used to it, because I've obviously it just it passes me by now. Like I just don't see it now. So And I'm so used to reading novels where you need to swear, you just swear. Yeah. And we've read comics like that as well for for the same reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing. It was my first time reading a marvel like a marvel or dc comic yeah which wanted to make use of those words but couldn't yeah and i was just reading it and i was just thinking this just comes off as infantile it just it just felt like a really poor creative choice and also with such an obvious workaround which i've seen in other comics and you've probably seen as well with one set in any kind of other land or space you could just make up one you could just like yeah. make one have it contextually be the one of that planet and of that planet or that galaxy or whatever. So there's workarounds that I do see like this is the quickest, cheapest way to get to the end point. And they could have put a more a bit more effort in to make it better. Yeah, it really took me out of the story. I felt I, I just every time it happened, I was like, oh <laughs> I think I probably had a that reaction when I first read them. And as I said, now I'm just used to them now, so I don't see mm. it. But um around this time the i did find the art was particularly good at one scene and that was the punch or the slap from the bounty hunter yeah it was yeah, a yeah. really good depiction of like that red lines coming out from the center like sharp like if it, it got across the the pain of the moment but the shock as well i liked the way it was drawn in general I yeah think. i thought the drawing was really good it was um it would remind me quite a bit of uh, if I can remember the reference, um, it reminded me quite a bit of a Silver Surfer um, comic right, from a while ago. Okay. And that was because there's a lot of big cosmic, colourful things. It was a quite beautiful um, art to that, which this reminded me of as well. Yeah, it was a desperately pretty comic book, wasn't mm. it? But also, again, those like that bit with the slap was like not pretty. It was like intentionally mm. jarring in a good way because it got across the sudden pain and shock. And obviously this character, Ruthie, has probably never experienced anything like this for for all the complaints of a family there was never any sign of abuse or anything at all no she came from a loving family so smelly family but a loving family so this could have literally been the first experience of violence Mm. and i think the power got across that quite well and i I like because i'm uh, we both i think we harp on writing more than art quite a bit Mm. because uh we both kind of favor that that aspect of the story um and you know we're talking about the bloody literature we're not an art um podcast despite yeah. me having to pick the art category when submitting the podcast <laughs> a bunch of places like by default it's the only one yeah but um but when there is a panel like that i always want to think i should we should talk about that specifically like give the artists their dues and that was a very good one i think one of my favorite panels in the whole thing was supergirl on the super horse yep that was a good one that was really beautiful i like the space dragons for again the, like the silver surfer thing stunning yeah, yeah. when they're on the ship yeah, that really was really beautiful. good. Yeah. yeah, really good. The uh, But that scene with Supergirl being drunk, um, which was just after this panel, uh, that uh, hit all the tropes of the hero who suddenly helps out. They're also still quite drunk. Yeah. But the most interesting revelation is was how vulnerable she is in this moment. Yeah, yeah And yeah. this is where we soon learn in her drunken ramblings, in a, like a, I think a clever little bit of exposition, was that she was there for a planet with a red sun, which I get you learn you contextualize later on mm. that red suns make super powered kryptonite kryptonians 
uh, human or yeah. essentially depowered. So she was still powerful compared to like normal people. Yeah, I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I would assume that being Kryptonian, she can't get drunk unless her powers are tempered a little bit. Well, that's the implication. I think that's one of those yeah. things that's just always been assumed. But um, but yeah, so I, uh, there's a that's common in a lot of superhero things, especially if they have Deadpool. super well, yeah, super metabolism of any kind. That the effects of drunkenness are your uh, the effects of poison essentially. Yeah. So if you if you're super powered, you don't feel the poison. Yeah, and yeah. It, so she needs she needs to go to somewhere specific where she's not quite as Kryptonian anymore, so she can get leathered. Yeah, and I think it was an interesting marking of like where the characters in their life by being twenty one, having just turned twenty one, yeah. and also a very twenty one thing of going to um a planet to get drunk. Yeah. That's like a very kind of like, well, I'm going to get drunk, so I'm going to go out of my way. For humans, it's like, I'm going to Ibiza for my well, 21st. And we've all done that, haven't we? Yeah. Like, we've all been on a lad's holiday just to get pissed. Where she needed to literally risk her life and go to a planet where she could be killed. Yeah. Which I suppose we all technically deal with every day. But, you know, if I was super bad, I'd be like, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just stay in and play video games. <laughs> but I thought that was an interesting way to get across what's happening and also indulge the trope of the drunken hero in the bar. Thing. yeah and it worked i think it worked because one of the things that we have to take into account when we talk about a female hero is that there's a gender dynamic at play throughout the whole book i mean in this and any any woman's title this day and age like yeah um and so there's this feeling that actually yes she's vulnerable because she has gone to a place where her general vulnerability is increased hmm but she's also in what we would traditionally perceive as a vulnerable position. And that bounty hunter acknowledged that. Yeah. He was like, you are just a woman on your own kind of thing. Yeah. And he gets a real nasty surprise when it turns out that she is Kryptonian and she is incredibly strong. I think it's, it, it's good in getting across that even when she's not superpowered, it's not even necessarily that she has the confidence of being somewhat still semi-powered, but that in all, in all areas she has the, I can't help but intervene and and help someone in need mm. and that so it gets across the hero aspect which can sometimes be missing from general superpowered but also superman story specifically because superman is like well yeah you save the day you're immortal like mm. you are invulnerable you're man of steel so it does add that element of like there is a hero underneath it's just we're lucky they are also superman most of the time do you know the one thing it really reminded me of is the scene in that basement bar in inglorious bastards that I I think I got a lot more tropey typical ones, you know. So, you know the moment where that German officer has been quietly sat drinking a beer in the corner, yeah, and then he gets up out of the corner and reveals himself because she kind of catches him on his way out, doesn't she? There's no big reveal. It's just kind of, bam! I've got the sword. What are you gonna yeah. do, bro? Hold up there, partner. Like yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, and I yeah. really liked that element of it. I think I because there was a fight scene afterwards. Essentially, I mm. went more to the I went to the more um, stereotypical like John Wick. I don't know if that has a bar scene like this, but you know what I mean, where they suddenly do a fight and there's you know yeah. kung fu or whatever. I think I got that more than like an actual like I think very extremely well written scene of Inglorious Bastards because there was no like hold on there and then they fight for a bit yeah. and it's like let's get out of here like Inglorious Bastards like. You don't know where it goes, and that tension. It's a, it's an amazingly written film for you know for obvious reasons, but I think it was a good way of getting across the information about where they were, the state Supergirl's in, while also indulging in a fun kind of like 
hang on before you go there i'm gonna just take that sword <laughs> from you and you know tell you to fuck off but um there was a lot of interesting stuff um around the language that was used around this time because it's the first meeting yeah, yeah, yeah. of ruthie and supergirl and one of the points i i know this is just an example but i think you'll see you'll you'll agree there's like lots of beats like this supergirl is trying to explain things to someone who doesn't have the the, the technology she's used to yeah she describes the spaceship as a she says I'm about to get in the ship and fly off. You need to back away yeah. because it's like a horse that kicks when it goes, but the kick is like a large area explosion and you need to be out of the area. So I liked the, I thought it was good of Tom King to do this kind of like translating, not from language to language, but just meaning and context. Cultural experience. Culturally, yeah, exactly. And there is some element, I, I suppose, I having earlier on just said there wasn't much of that. There is this sense with ruthie that she has grown up in a backwater isn't it particularly when it comes to things like the soap and not washing and stuff yeah. like that supergirl is kind of always taking on that role as mentor isn't she and this is why i was saying as well they're uh, describing ruthie as a plot device and an interesting character in herself mm. so the stories about her family all stinking because they have one bath a month and they all have to share the water and yeah her. i think ones like that that gets across Ruthie as a character and her experiences, but it also then leads to a moment of Supergirl teaching Ruthie how to wash her hands. Yeah. And like little things like that become plot points for later to develop Supergirl's character or to call back on a later plot point towards the end. Mm. But yeah, so I think the writing is good enough that it dual purposes things like that. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. And if if you can do kind of writing that doesn't come across as overly expositional... Like, oh, they're doing that because they want to get across they're a good person. Or, oh, they're doing that because they want to get sympathy for this character. I think as long as you can do that in interesting ways and very interesting ways, you know, dual purpose, then I prefer that to simple basic writing. So I, compared to other DC and Marvel comics, that's why I think I'm grading this on a curve in a way where I'm like, I really enjoyed it because I'm comparing it to this. And whereas you're saying you have found issues with her because you're comparing it to like great texts and novels and stuff. Well, yeah. So talking about the exposition, that is one of my gripes. Yeah. And I think that's more of a symptom of the larger Marvel DC. But... Because yeah, towards the end, again, one of my favorite panels of art, one of my least favorite half issues nearly, is where she is flying up. Uh, Ruthie has sent the horse up to Supergirl. Yeah. on the ship and then we get half an issue of exposition where she starts to explain supergirl's backstory and there is a lot of exposition is that in the actual showing of the 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 city with the radiation and everything before that right so before they before they actually start to show us supergirl's backstory we get about half to a quarter of an issue like a solid five or six pages of just exposition and it bothered me. <laughs> right. Because they were telling us and not showing us. Yeah. And then once he started showing us again and actually started showing us Supergirl's backstory, I was like, okay, cool. We're doing this now. I was really happy that we hadn't done this. And I was really happy that I wasn't going to take a little trip to die in Krypton. But fine, if I have to go there, I have to go there. I will read these panels. I'll look at the art. Yeah. But it was when Ruthie was kind of just giving us the exposition over the panels of the action that were happening within the story. Mm. And I was like, I didn't need this. This yeah. is just pure exposition. This is a piece of storytelling that you knew you needed to cram in there. 
you needed to find somewhere to put it, so you stuck it here in a bunch of text bubbles. Mm. And it felt authored, and it felt shoehorned in. Right. And I just kind of looked at it and went, oh, you've done so well. Yeah. You've do- you done so well not to get bogged down in her backstory, only to do it at a really critical moment, mm. right in that last act, right when the action is happening. He kind of slowed down and started giving a Supergirl's backstory. Mm. And I was like, we've made it through five, like six, seven I mean, issues at this point without the need to do this. I don't know why you felt the need to shoehorn it into the final act. And coming back to what I said about comparing to other superhero comics, most of them would have done them on page one, issue one. They would have been like, bloody Bruce Wayne, they were coming out of the cinema, and then the mugger came out, and the, the pearls and everything. Like, it would have been then. Yeah. So there was some restraint by leaving it till then but i swear like again for me i'm like oh that's normally different and for you it's like why are you doing this at all yeah well he shoehorned it into the last act yeah and so i felt that in terms of the pacing of the story suddenly i am seeing one panel that i didn't even really need to see if i Mm. see the horse leave and i see the horse arrive i can deduce myself that the horse had a journey and so i'm looking at this very pretty piece of art but a piece of art that didn't need to be there Mm. and reading through a bunch of text blocks of exposition that i don't need like we know that supergirl came from krypton we know that krypton has died yeah i think at this point what 60 no nearly 100 years into having superman comics Mm. we don't need to be told that superman and supergirl came from die from a dying krypton and so it just felt as if it really slowed that last act of the story down. Mm. I think there's there was something to be gained from the actual flashbacks because they showed an aspect of the character. And the problem is, like, from your perspective, you kind of think, oh, we know this origin already. Mm. Whereas I'm aware that different versions or different... We'll do retellings. it differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so you kind of have to almost have that nudge of like, by the way, it's the same, or, oh, by the way, it's different. I still know? think it would have been a stronger story without it. Yeah, no, it's so not. It slowed I'm just, the last act down. I'm just me. talking about the actual, the, when they were showing the last city and stuff, mm. whereas you were talking about when they had the written narration yeah. about it, which I do agree was unneeded. It was unnecessary. And I think there's, there's I just didn't notice it much while reading, because I'm, as I said, used to that kind of trope. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been interesting if they just had those panels without narration. And mm. I do think they're, they did get to a point where it felt like every scene where there wasn't dialogue required narration. And it might have even got to the point where they were like, I haven't got anything to say at this point. And they were like, well, you've been doing narration, so you have to keep doing it. And, and it's and it's like, because this is the thing with a comic book. If you are, a comic book is paced, I think, either by the density of the art or the density of the words on the page. Yeah. That's the only control you have over pacing. It's different to a novel. Yeah. A novel you can pace differently by um, just sticking with the action and reducing dialogue or writing in shorter sentences. There's a lot you can do with a novel. But what they did is took a part of the story that I felt needed to move quite quickly and where I wanted to be flicking through the pages and, you know, absorbing this action and actually slowed that experience right down for me. Um, and the comic book had been pretty well paced throughout the whole story. Like I didn't, I'd, you know, I'd scanned through it, I think at the rate that I was kind of meant to. Yeah. And I'd really enjoyed the pacing of the story. And then suddenly at this really pivotal moment, right in the last act, it slowed right down for me. Mm. And it was because of all that exposition. It was because of that narration he was putting on top. And I don't think it needed it. Yeah. 
it, the ac- I think the action would have come off a little better if it just given it room to breathe. I do think there was some good pacing in the actual uh, context of the story at some points. Yeah. And one bit I noticed particularly was that the um, there's a thing where when you get a really super-powered character like Supergirl or Superman mm. or whoever, that if the if the uh, antagonists aren't as super-powered, there becomes a point of how are they not already dead or captured. Yeah. So one way they address this is the introduction of a thing, which I'm pretty sure, I might be wrong, I don't think it was an existing thing because they explain what it is. What are they called? The, is it the Maud Tower or the Mordo Ball? Oh, that magical thing. Yeah. And I think that was good because usually that kind of thing is used, that usually is a bit of a deus ex machina to keep the story moving, mm. which this kind of was. But it also was explained in a way, it came across to me like the character Krem was smart and resourceful. So they were smart enough to look into what is chasing him, which he finds out is a Kryptonian, which uh, because of Superman is quite well known. Incredibly well known all over the universe. Exactly. So there's probably quite a bit of um, Kryptonian, you know, black market defenses or that kind of thing. Um, so the Mordabal, I think, is one of those. And they also, so this character, Krem, links up with a group called the Brigands, I believe, who are essentially space pirates yeah. by, like, the added feature that they are essentially traveling genocide, um, but they also take resources and money from the yeah. people they kill or the people they spare. So we we work out that Krem has got the resources and the implied know-how to know, right, I've got this Kryptonian chasing after me. What can I find that will help? And it turns out it's a magic ball that can only be summoned by someone who has a thousand careless murders, I think, or something like that. You you have to kill people, but you have to do so specifically with farming their souls for that magic in mind. Yeah, with without it in mind, was it? With it in mind. With- like you have to, yeah, it said... You have to make a thousand souls specifically for that purpose. I thought it was the opposite. And I thought that was that was more telling because I thought that came across as um I thought that came across as him just being like, Well, I've got all these deaths racked up that I wasn't that was like saving like airline miles. Yeah, like yeah. I wasn't gonna use them for anything else, but I guess I'll use them for this now. But um And I agree with you because Ruthie makes it clear that actually it was so frequent that they met people who wanted to get revenge on Superman, that it would stand to reason that they would be people that Rem would have met on the way who would have spent a bit of time thinking about how to get rid of Superman and how to kill a Kryptonian. Yeah, and again, it, it just made Krem at least seem like pretty smart enough to just be like, yeah, I know this is happening, uh, so I'm going more Droglobe, apparently, is it? But yeah. Um, yeah, he's like, I know this is happening, I've got these... <laughs> these deaths saved up and i'll use them to um to cast uh kara or supergirl i think she go by kara is it kara zorel i think in this she well ruthie dunn never refers to her as kara right so supergirl always supergirl yeah because i thought she's had a few different names as well just based on iterations although she always refers to superman as Clark. Fuck. Oh, oh, Cal. Yeah, Cal. yeah. His, his Kryptonian. She always Cal-El. refers to him by his Kryptonian yeah. name, which so I think she, is interesting. She, because so she was a child when um, Cal Clark and Superman was born. Yeah. So yeah, that's the the natural name she'll go. Is by. she older than? Cal, yeah. Then? So she's what normally happens is this is one of the few bits I don't know. I didn't know much about Supergirl before reading this. This is one of the few bits 
is I do know is that she was older when he was a baby. So he was launched as a baby from Krypton. Mm. She was a bit older, like a child. But she goes through a wormhole or something, a time dilated wormhole. So then when she arrives at Earth, he's fully grown. So there's uh, like a she was fourteen. Yes. So there's like a thirty year gap where Clark has gone from baby to adult Superman. But she's just spent that time not in time. Exactly. Yeah, so she sense. and that's why she's the one they mentioned earlier in the narration is she sent to look after him <laughs> as baby. She's like, hey, you need to well, this is the thing, because that was in the Amazon narration, mm. but at no point was it... Well, they, it retcons it. So I think that's because it previous iterations, that's why she was sent. That was the the. In this the one, her dad is just trying to save her. Yeah, that, well, he's... that simple. He's trying to save the whole town, the city yeah, at yeah, first. Yeah. And I thought that was a good little side bit about the, um, the, the radiation and how it was slowly killing everyone. And they were trying to save people and they just didn't work out. So I thought that was an interesting, like, backstory yeah. to... The, the state of mind and the type of person that the Supergirl is. But the the Mordable especially was tailored to Supergirl because of the planet with the Krypton, Kryptonite sun. It was a Kryptonite sun that somebody had specifically made to trap Superman on. Yeah, and I, I assume this was in a previous comic. I don't know if it was. It might not have been. It's not. It's a dope story. It's a pretty good story. And apparently, I, I do love... There is like an escalation of characters over time. Yeah. And this is the, how long did Superman spend on it? 45, 45 minutes. minutes. <laughs> and he said it was hell. How long have we got? 10, Ten hours. hours. Like, ah. And I love that it was the, she was like, yeah, it was 45 minutes and the league saved him. I presume she means the Justice League. Yes. Yeah. The, the most common league. Yes. Yeah. But, um, Not the, the League of Gentlemen. No. <laughs> <laughs> but he, um, <laughs> what's this? Quartermain. So buddy Quartermain rocking up being like, who needs help? It's like Supergirl's like, I thought you were a man. <laughs> Classic League. The League of Gentlemen, Supergirl, extra League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. League of Gentlemen's the other one, the weird British one. Yeah. That's not that's not weird if you're British, but it's weird if you're not British. Yeah, I imagine the League of Gentlemen would be really unusual to an American. Yeah, no. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Quartermain the sexist. <laughs> I thought you were a man. That's the joke. <laughs> But um, the fact that the Mordro, Mordro, Mordru ball, whatever it's called, the fact that it's tailored to the Kryptonite planet is shows more research and preparation that Krem yeah. has done. So despite everything else, it gives across that Krem is, well, is um, resourceful. He's clever. He's clever and he has the resources from murdering and genocide. Yeah. And I think they did a really good job. So yeah, I, 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 I had issues with this book, but there's... A lot that I found really enjoyable in it. And I think one of the things I liked about it was uh, the planet of... I don't think we even get a name for it. I do. The, 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 the kryptonite planet? No. Oh, right. Um, it was the planet with the purple and the blue people and yes. the purple and the blue hotel. The, uh, the not-so-subtle allegory for racism and genocide. Yeah, and he just bunged it straight in there. And it was punchy and it was powerful. And I think it really helped to establish Supergirl's character. Um, again, an instance where he didn't make use of a lot of exposition. He told the story really well. And that story unfolded at a really good pace without any exposition. He did a really good job on it. There's definitely a theme throughout the whole limited series. And that theme is the faced with the evils of... For, la for, for lack of the metaphor, huma humanity, yeah. mankind, even though it's aliens. 
but faced with the evils of the rest of the world, um, trying to still be virtuous and good mm. in it. And that's what Supergirl in this instance is trying to get across. Um, and I think what's interesting comparatively to Superman is Superman is normally depicted as a beacon of hope in a kind of uh, a, a real world, a mix of good and bad, like in a how you know America views itself, like a world that's just yeah. needs a bit of a bit of a kick up the ass and we'll do the right thing, that kind of thing. And Superman is then the idolization to look for. And Supergirl is being thrown into these much harsher, morally corrupt um, places and mm. people and still having to be that virtuous uh, beacon of hope. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, can I ask you some questions? I mean, I hope they're super DC related. Super dog. Crypto, yeah. Crypto. Crypto the dog. Crypto the dog. Yeah. Is that a thing? It's an established thing. I don't know his backstory, but yeah, he's a he's a common thing, yeah. So is he a Kryptonian dog or I, is he super for another reason? I don't know. I think he's probably had different backstories in the past. Because um, we don't get a backstory for Crypto. I, I think it's assumed that pe- the, the fans would know. I did not. But but also I've seen him in so many other things that I'm just like, yeah, hey, it's Crypto the dog. Like, Does I've he never... have his own books? He might. He might. I know there's a there's a league of super pets and he's one of the big ones in it. Yeah. So there's definitely there's a film as well. Can we? Can we talk? Can we do a crypto the super dog comic? Well, once we've once we've exhausted, once we've had some time past of no Kryptonians, <laughs> then then we'll do crypto the super dog or something similar. Is crypto? I mean, I think it's fun that the whole story we think that Supergirl is there to avenge crypto, and we get right to mm. the end, and she's like, "Nah, crypto's cool, mate. I did this to teach you a lesson." <laughs> that was an interesting one. So I. <laughs> I didn't know if I enjoyed that or not, because I didn't know if I enjoyed the I lied to teach you a lesson. But then it turns around where she goes, yeah, I want to teach you like about revenge or something. And you can tell like you haven't quite thought you didn't quite think this through. It's vague, isn't it? Yeah. And what I appreciate about that was the there's a lot of characters in all sorts of fiction where they go, ah, I lied at the beginning because I knew exactly what would happen if I did. And now we are exact point where I plan yeah. to be. Supergirl was like, yeah, I lied to teach you a lesson about revenge or something. I don't think it's quite panned out how I thought. <laughs> yeah. And that actually came across more realistic. I yeah, thought that that is a person who has tried to do a good thing and it's not quite panned out how they thought. I suppose it's, in, it's interesting because she's taking on this mentor role, but she's 21 years old. Um, this is screams a 21-year-old, regardless of gender or anything a 21 year old who thinks they know everything about the world they're going ah that might not have been the best choice yeah, actually exactly. yeah, yeah yeah like um i saw some i saw something really interesting the other day where it was like a 25 year old was saying oh actually you're an eight-year-old adult mm. like we say you're 25 but actually you've been an adult for eight years like supergirl what was living in the family home until she was 14 so even if we say that she ascended to adulthood at 14 when she arrived on Earth. When, when her planet exploded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's... Come, that, real coming of age. That'll event. age you, won't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, she's only been at it for six years and she's trying to teach somebody else life lessons. And it's like, actually, Ruthie lived a really hard life on a rock farm. Mm. I don't think we've quite drilled in, a hard, drilled in that that is a hard life. 
Rock farm sounds especially hard. Doesn't like, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just by name alone. What, what, I work on a farm. Or do you raise pigs? Or do you, is it an arable farm? Do you grow wheat? No, we make rocks. No, it's, it's, it's like a pig farm, but it's pet rocks and they glue googly eyes to rocks <laughs> and sell them as, Although, as pets. I, th- I feel like rock farm is a really weird way of saying quarry. It's a, it's uh it's probably that thing. It's the same thing as Star Wars, uh, where Luke Skywalker was raised on a moisture farm. It's like, <laughs> what are you, what is that? Mean? <laughs> I mean, I suppose he lives in a desert, so a moisture farm kind of makes sense. Yeah, it? water's more like gold probably in there, but yeah. But um, interesting you point out crypto. I was more concerned about Comet the horse because this is a character I've not experienced before. And he's a dude and we find yep. out he's a dude and then it just kind of gets swept under the rug. So it's only when I questioned. So we, I was reading the comic and Comet's in there. They outraced the Mordoro, Mordru ball the second yeah. time, which I thought was a great bit. Um, And I'm thinking, oh, this horse is faster than Supergirl because that's why she's on him racing away yeah so that's interesting that normally the only things faster than the kryptonian are like the flash or something similar mm. um and then only when i started looking up i was like who is this what is this character and then looking up realizing oh it's not a, i thought it was a pegasus for a while yeah, yeah and it too. was it was like a a weird selective blindness mm. where only when i looked back when oh yeah the horse has a cape it's a super horse and like, it doesn't have wings is it winged it is it's not winged it's yeah because originally i photoshopped wings onto it in my mind yeah i think that again when i thought back to it i was like oh uh yeah pegasus and then i look back it's like oh no those aren't wings that's a red cape yeah and in my mind i just gave a uh, gave him white wings yeah so yeah that's it's that's literally a nelson mandela effect yeah where we just both had it very temporarily for this one comic we talked about the mandela effect recently didn't we Yes, yes. We, did we talk uh, about it on the comic or in person? That was in person, that, uh, that time. Did you know that there is a Mandela effect happening for the Mandela effect? Uh, was that never a thing? A lot of people think, a lot of people now think it's the Mandala effect. Mandala? Yeah. It's not even a thing. <laughs> it's going to become the Mandalorian effect. We're yeah. all like, we have to pay Disney money to use it. This is the way. This is the way, yes. <laughs> but I was interested in Comet because I did, I did kind of think, like it, there must be some backstory and it was only once i finished i was like i finished the series and i was like who was this comet because mm. when comet gets shot by a kryptonite gun and again similar to what i said about creme the brigands whatever they're called they also are resourceful and have the money and know a kryptonian is chasing them so they invest in kryptonite so exactly what um creme did yeah um kryptonite gun comet takes the shot uh, like gets in the way of the bullet, saves Supergirl, and then suddenly becomes a man. And, and, well, it's, and it's like, what is happening? And we don't see the transformation. We just see her ascend. No, no, we do see the transformation because that's what I first picked up. Yeah, there's oh, a. I, I thought we just see her ascend onto that island with him in her arms and pop him on the floor. And Ruthie's like, "What's going on?" And she's like, "Oh, he's a man. He got cursed. It's a long story. I won't get into it." So there's that as well, which that's what prompted me to think, "Oh, maybe I should check to see." if this character has a backstory is from somewhere else or whatever. Mm. But um, but yeah, then it's, there is a shot and there's a really beautiful art of the transformation. It's got a lot of color uh, over I and stuff. That. And at that point I'm like, okay, there's a lot more to this horse character. And then when she says that at that point where she's slowly bringing down the body wrapped in the 
cape the horse was yeah. wearing, we think. Um, that's when I go, okay, this is an existing character. I should probably look up what's happened here. And again, because first time seeing the horse, I'm like, I should look into this. Crypto the Superdog. I've never had an inkling to be like, how is a dog superpowered? Like, it's just never come up. So is the horse a thing? So there's a couple of different iterations of the horse. Right. Um, I actually took a post of it. So I was trying to do a bit of research for this because, again, yeah. I don't know as much. So in doing some research for this, I did come across a like 15 things about the new Supergirl comic article. Yeah. And I looked through it. Most of it was just bollocks, like just, you know, article creating extra stuff. But there was a few isolated points where I was like, you know what, I'll take from those. Yeah. So I don't know if I should name the comic, uh, name the article or who it's by, because I just called most of it bollocks anyway. I don't know if that's the kind of the <laughs> whatever the advertising that they want. But, um, and it was a weird one as well, because one of the points that they made, and this was coming back to earlier when we were talking about animation and saying how about it's, you know, adult and cartoon or that kind of thing. Yeah. One of the points it makes about it, and it says like who it's written by, who it's mm. drawn by, yeah. where it's set, that kind of thing. And then, so the point that one of it, the one of the points the article makes is it says, uh, it has a great literary quality. And this to me was <laughs> like, you say that like comics can't be well written like yeah it's 2023 mouse came out fucking decades ago that's yeah. considered one of the most well-written pieces of fiction or writing ever like, like we've had watchmen and, and we had everything alan moore has ever everything done. alan moore gets mentioned for on this podcast he has done and yeah. is there for that reason <laughs> so for them to be like it's actually written really well it's like so either they're not expecting comics to be written well which we know is bollocks or they're not expecting DC, like yeah. mainstream comics, we wrote. So they're like, little funny thing about this comic, it's actually written pretty good. It's like, what are you saying? So I thought that was weird. But they do point out some of the backstory of Comet the Superhorse saying he returns. So immediately it's like, oh, he has some backstory then. Um, but basically, there's a couple of characters that they have been, um, like a couple of iterations. Uh, one of which was uh, the one that interacted with Supergirl, so we assume this might be the one, was a shape-shifting character. So we don't, still don't know how they're super, but they were shape-shifter to a man, which we see here, and also a woman who was a gay stand-up comedian. Sick. So why, I'm using that as an example to say there's a lot of backstory, there's a lot of issues, and that's why I think Supergirl says it's complicated because yeah tom king didn't want to get into which comet this is and why we know that's her. a nod to the comic book the heavy comic book fans isn't it exactly yeah that's kind of fun yes exactly so i i appreciate it's a callback and it's vague enough that you can be like oh it's from this one i read no it's from this one i read like yeah. it's all of them or it's none of them yeah like, we don't need to know exactly it is comet the horse yes comic the comet the super horse and i like that he doesn't get to bog down into where she found Comet. Because she kind of gets, she kind of acquires him in the heat of battle. And he just fucking rocks up and saves the day. Mm. And then she leaves him to hang about with Ruthie on that island for a bit. Um, I like the bit of interaction we get between Ruthie, Ruthie, Ruthie. I'm going to call her Ruthie. I mean, we've been saying Ruthie, so I guess yeah. we're going for that now. Yeah, the, the bit of interaction we get through from Ruthie-man and Comet is enjoyable like you know she kind of de you know she we did we get some nice character stuff she talks about her experience with an animal that she had when she was younger and her own stubbornness and you know it's a nice character moment that we have between the two mm. 
Um, and it kind of fills a little bit of the dead air at the start of the seventh issue, doesn't it? Yeah. And I, I also, I did like that the point where Comet the Horse was about to be the deus ex machina to save um, Supergirl from the yeah. chains and the gun, that the stakes weren't just, oh, Comet's going to go and save her. It's Comet is leaving one character to now be at the peril of possibly indulging in revenge and losing their innocence. And Supergirl is communicating with him from where she is telling him not to. Yes. And it takes some... I suppose, again, it's... We we see um, Ruthie talk about trust and talk about animals and trust. And she plays on that and draws on that to say, come on, we trust each other. You know I'm not going to do anything stupid gets rid of them and then instantly says well i only lied to a horse <laughs> yeah that was a good line it's like i thought you- that was really fun <laughs> the narration is have you ever lied to a horse doesn't feel good <laughs> fair enough take your word for it yeah i've not lied to many horses no no i've just got in open uh insults to bold face insults to a horse but i'd never go as far as to lie to one because that would be too much yeah i'm pretty good buddies with a horse really what's his name he's called fox Really? Yeah, he's at he's at Red Wings. Do you know a fox called horse? No, I don't. Well, what's the point? <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> I do have. I think this is probably my biggest issue with the comic. Your uh, issue with the issues. My issue with these issues, and specifically the last issue, I did find that we, as we talked near the beginning, the different endings or the yeah. different endings that we're given, and we're kind of given them. We're kind of getting a having it both ways where you yeah. have the no revenge is so to to context it they capture creme um supergirl uh ruthie releases this story that actually probably was closer to when it happened yeah then, so i just realized this we were talking about how the story might have been unreliable because it was like 300 possibly up to 300 years after i think the story must have come out quite soon after the events because that story is what tells everyone that Supergirl killed Krem. So that mm. and that's what gets the brigands to chase Supergirl for revenge yeah. instead of Ruthie. So by that logic, that must have come out close to that time. And they have a conversation about it, don't they? Exactly. I did feel the ending was a bit too convoluted because then he Krem is in the Phantom Zone for 300 years, becomes repentant begs for forgiveness, and then Ruthie kills him right at the end in the yeah. exact same spot where he killed her dad 300 years ago. Did you have to read that twice? Because I, I had to read it twice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in reading it twice, I felt, again, it's a bit too convoluted because it has it mixed metaphors about revenge and what the point is, and that's why I feel like they were trying to have it both ways by having this revenge isn't good aspect, and also, but he fucking murders her at the end, and that feels good, doesn't it? Like... It made me really dislike Ruthie's character. Well, I think I didn't mind that it was so far later because it was just a different character as with age, with 300 years of age. Yeah. So I didn't mind that she'd had a change of heart in that regard. But in the writing, I didn't, I didn't feel it. It didn't affect me, my view of the character, but it affected mm. my view of the writing because it was like, well, what was the point in all this? Well, it just, I mean, I don't know if it's just my opinions on the criminal justice system that I won't get into. Um, but I kind that's of a different felt, podcast. Yeah, fucking A. Um, that's another two-hour episode in and of itself. Um, it's the fact that they went to all the effort to imprison him and 
for him to reform and to repent and to you know learn the names of all the people that he killed and to really interface with what he did only to murder him in cold blood Mm. because it implies that actually he grew over the intervening 300 years ruthie did not well she grew in a different way because she could not physically kill him 300 years ago and now like couldn't barely gave a second thought Mm. so she's grown in a different way i think there's an element of again this is why i find it conflicting Mm. there's an element of well when he 300 years ago when the uh, story originally took place um she he didn't care if he was killed he wasn't that bothered so there's an element of like an almost a even more harsher revenge where it's not i'm killing you despite you not giving a shit Mm. and then years later when it's i you are now repentant you've just been released from a 300 year prison you're begging me for forgiveness and now i'm gonna kill you yeah so it's almost like a more indulgent revenge power isn't it and it feels so conflicting to the the trope ridden we've killed all the henchmen but don't kill the bad guy because you're better than that and then the let's put him in jail for 300 years and then kill him like just yeah it just i think it missed the mark it leaves a sour taste in my mouth yeah i like the art in the end on the hill with the sunset again with the shot yeah with them in shadow on the hill Mm. and we get to see a matured supergirl and i think they did an amazing job of drawing her yep that was good um she looked great but yeah no the ending left a real sour taste in my mouth and i'm not again did we both read this today i read the last issue today yeah. yeah i read the last issue earlier on today so i'm not really fully sure how i feel about it yet i might need to you know yeah. reflect on it and one other th- one tiny little thing um that there was a point where and this i i, I got this from second or third reading as well mm. supergirl says to ruthie you made sure she's saying you told everyone that i killed him you set the people after me so that yeah. you didn't have to deal with them like th- th- things that supergirl requested of her yeah and then she says you made sure he'd stay locked up yeah but then supergirl had the phantom zone thing that he was trapped in yeah so why didn't that was confusing to me yeah who's who's got him locked up i think something must happen in this last issue that was like hang on we've got a course correct and i don't know what happened but something was lost in this last issue which was a shame because overall i really enjoyed the whole comic I thought the writing is was refreshing for a superhero title, and I definitely I'm excited to read more Tom King, despite the issues with the last uh, issue. Yeah, well, I think it just yeah the last two issues were the weakest for me. Um, the last two issues are the weakest, but the things that in general I really liked about it is that I got a real sense of the journey they'd been on and that they were on a journey. Although one thing that again one more thing that did bother me now that I think of it is that Ruthie had a really bad sense of how long it had all taken. Mm. She would she would often say, oh, in the, in the past weeks that we'd been traveling, and then it was months, and then it was weeks again, and then it was days. She never really had a strong sense of how long the journey had been, yeah. which was a bit confusing to follow. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, but overall, would you, would you read another Tom King um, series based on your experience with this? Yeah, probably. Mm. Um, I definitely want to read more Supergirl. I like Supergirl a lot. I think yeah, I this made me a lot more this made me a lot more of a fan of Supergirl. Well, there is a Supergirl run that I read a few years ago that neither of us could find that yeah. I really, really enjoyed. 
Um, That'll be your your Moby Dick from now on, is finding that <laughs> My title. White Whale. Yes. <laughs> but one thing I have with titles like these, with a lot of Tom King ones, but also other um, r- r- other writers, is you'll read a sit- limited... You'll read a run by a writer, and you'll go, oh, I love this character and this portrayal. And then you read the next one by a different writer, you go... Terrible. Oh, it, it was the writing I liked, not the character. So yeah. uh, what I'm saying is, I I still like Supergirl as a character. I think they've done interesting things with her before this, and that's really good for a character. But there's every chance that the next Supergirl one could come out, and we'll go, oh, let's read this one based on how we enjoyed this one, and then it's mm. oh, it's like the same old thing again. And now that I think of it, in my head, I might have gotten a Captain Marvel comic mixed up with a Superman, a Supergirl one. That's possible. They they are both blonde. They're both blonde. They both wear blue outfits. They're both basically Kryptonians. Um, in a sense, yeah. That's close enough, yeah. It's all the same shit, in it? But yeah, I think that's uh, I think we've covered everything. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much for listening. You can email us at comicliterate at gmail.com. Amazing work. Hey. Fantastic. Um, I'll, get it, I'll get it tattooed on my forehead as well. Yeah, I'm not going to plug all the things we do this week. I'm just not feeling in a very pluggy mood. Do you want me to plug one little thing? Oh, go on. There's, well... This this will be out two months afterwards, but we've got our first uh, short out. So. Oh, yeah, no, you did that. Yeah, let's plug that. There's a YouTube short. Yep, uh, there's a short, and it's just a little bit of a clip. So if you're already listening to the podcast, then it doesn't really matter to you. But if you do want what we think are some of the just the funnier little smaller clips, then that's going to be there with a bit of background animation, that kind of thing. So find those wherever you can on uh, youtube shorts and tiktok yeah just have a look at it for our sake yes that oh, oh like Do it for us like share and subscribe that's what we have to keep that's what we have to keep saying from now on yeah and also now that we're the podcast actually on the websites now and they're on the aggregates uh review them review them five review stars them. if you can we're available anywhere you find your podcasts i mean you don't need to tell it we don't need to tell you that because you found this one exactly but leave a review um you get a shout out on the podcast if you mention Alan Moore in your review. <laughs> or if you even if you if you do review at five stars and if you can caption it or screenshot it and just send us a thing, then with a message, we'll, we'll more than happily read it out. Yeah. I mean, 100%. If you send out a request, we'll probably do that as well. So Yeah, hundred percent. Like we can't any... we can't film or anything, but just take our word that we did whatever the request was. Yeah, whatever yeah, we'll we'll yeah, we're 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 up for it. We're up for it. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one, wherever we do. Bye. Goodbye.